Hey everyone, if you're enjoying listening to Invisible Choir, we could use your support. Please consider taking a few moments right now and leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you're ready for ad-free early release full-length episodes and over 200 exclusive premium episodes beginning at just $5 per month, consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash invisiblechoir or just click the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening and for making this show possible. Thank you for listening to Invisible Choir. This episode contains sensitive material, including graphic depictions of violence or abuse against children, which some listeners may find especially distressing or traumatic. Listener discretion is advised. I knelt down. I did the initial diagnosis that you make in that kind of a situation. I looked at the entire line of the body, pushed the forehead and the head back, gave breaths and started compressions. How did she respond, sir? How did the little girl respond? There was no response. Childhood innocence. What a wonderful yet fleeting thing to have possessed. It's something most of us have obtained but gradually lost as it's tainted and worn away from life's mundane affairs. Kind of depressing when you actually sit down and think about it. And yet you're fortunate if you can recall those days. And you're even luckier if you've managed to somehow hold on to a bit of that magic as an adult. Of course, from a quote, grown-up's perspective, the reason children are so carefree is because their brains aren't yet fully developed. In fact, some would argue the reason this time period is so special is because, mentally, it's when human beings are in their purest form. Children have no filter, and they tend to tell the truth unapologetically and to a fault, and they say what's on their mind. However, this has been known to get some people in trouble, in murder investigations, for instance. And so we present to you the question, given a child's lack of general understanding about the world, and their circumstances, should their word be taken as evidentiary truth, specifically in a court of law. When someone is charged with a crime and their child is asked to take the stand, one can only hope that their testimony isn't in fact their imagination simply running away from them. August 8th, 2007 wasn't unlike any other Wednesday morning in Esto, Florida. It was another hot and humid day with temperatures approaching triple digits. 27-year-old Amanda Lewis had just returned home after working an overnight shift at around 8 o'clock in the morning. She was a nursing assistant in town and decided to lay down on the couch while her two children watched cartoons. Amanda's boyfriend, Alan Carnally, also lived at the house but was at work that day. Alan had a 14-year-old son named Alan Michael, who also lived in the home and had been sleeping until later on that afternoon. Amanda's daughter, Adriana, was seven at the time, and her son, AJ, was a year younger at just six. According to Amanda, at around 9 a.m., she fell asleep on the couch. After she woke up at around 12.30 or 1 o'clock that afternoon, 
The children asked her if they could go outside and play before going shopping for school supplies later that afternoon. They were playing in the front yard in the driveway with some of AJ's trucks. I went out, checked on them, and I told them I was supposed to take a shower. Then they could come in, we'd get them bathed, and then we'd go do their school shopping. When Amanda got out of the shower, she looked outside to see AJ climbing a tree. She couldn't see Adriana, but at the time thought nothing of it. And I asked him where Adriana was at, and he said she was playing at the pool. I said, well, go tell her to come in so we can get ready to go. The family had an above-ground swimming pool in the backyard, one of those large-diameter round plastic fabric pools with an inflatable top ring that contains the water, the type you can easily purchase at just about any big-box store or on Amazon for four or $500. Preoccupied while preparing to head to the store, Amanda didn't think much of what AJ was saying. She had assumed he meant that his sister was playing by the pool as the children knew they weren't allowed to swim unsupervised. AJ then ran back outside to play. Moments later, Amanda looked out the back window again, only to see AJ now standing on a red toy wagon. He was leaning over the side wall of the above-ground pool. Through the sliding glass door, Amanda could see her son running his hand through the water, as if he was desperately trying to grab something. Amanda then called out to AJ. He was on the wagon, reaching over in the pool, raking at something. And I asked him what was he doing, and he said that Adriana was upside down in the pool, and she wasn't moving. Amanda says she ran to the pool to find her seven-year-old daughter, Adriana, floating face down in the water. She immediately ordered AJ to go inside. And I was trying to get her out because she was close to the middle of the pool. And then I reached, I leaned over and reached over, and I managed to get her foot, and I pulled her out and got her on the ground, and I tried to do... CPR as I was calling 911. The following is audio from Amanda's actual call to 911. 911. I need an ambulance, please. 911. I need an ambulance. What's wrong, ma'am? My daughter fell in the pool and she's not breathing. Where at, ma'am? Uh, in Esso. Ma'am, what's your address? 3343 First Avenue South. 3343 First Avenue South. Yes, down the road from the post office at the very end. And she's not breathing? How old is she? She's seven years old. All right, hang on just a second, ma'am. The dispatcher leaves her on the line for a brief hold as she relays the call to emergency units. Amanda Lewis said she began rendering CPR immediately to her unresponsive daughter. But this 911 call may indicate otherwise. Oh, God. Just a second, ma'am. Her lips are purple. What do I do? Ma'am? Water's just coming out of her nose. Ma'am? Huh? You said water's coming out of her nose? Yes, I've got her on her side. She's coming out of her nose every time I move her. Okay, hang on just a second. Please hurry. Yes, ma'am. I've got them on the way. I'm going to see if they can do something to help you. Hang on just a moment. Rescue one, they're advising, they've got her laid over on her side, water's coming out of her nose. Is there anything they can do if she gets in 12? Approximately one minute and 30 seconds have gone by since Amanda had been on the phone with 911. She seems to be in a panic, waiting for direction from the dispatcher. And if you listen to the call carefully, the dispatcher has not once instructed her to begin life-saving measures. Does she have a pulse, ma'am? No, she's not got nothing. She is purple. She don't. Hang on just a second. Everything's purple. She's advising. She's purple. No pulse. No breathing. Hang on just a second, ma'am. 
in a literal game of telephone come to life. Amanda Lewis waits for the dispatcher to tell her what to do. While that dispatcher is waiting in turn for EMS to give her instructions. Meanwhile, a seven-year-old girl was left without aid as precious seconds rapidly ticked away. If you listen closely to that last section, you can even hear EMS clearly say, Start CPR in the background as they're presumably telling the operator to have Amanda begin chest compressions until they can arrive. Tragically, for some reason, that message is never relayed. 10-4. Okay, ma'am, I've got rescue on the way, and I'm fixing to get you someone else, okay? Okay. If, I'm going to call you right back in just a few minutes. Ma'am? Hi. We've got him on the way. Thank you. Thank you. The operator explains that she'll call Amanda back and then hangs up the phone. The duration of the entire phone call you've just heard runs about 2 minutes and 3 seconds. It's not clear if the dispatcher ever told Amanda to begin CPR on that second call, but the audio was never made publicly available. And it's important to note that most telecommunications in emergency dispatch receive training regarding life-saving instructions before they're even hired. In the state of Florida, however, there is no law requiring operators provide such direction to the caller. In fact, the majority of dispatchers apparently never do. Esto Fire Chief Charles Corcoran was the first on scene. When he arrived at Amanda Lewis's home, he said he found her in the backyard kneeling over her seven-year-old daughter crying. And according to at least one of the other first responders on scene, it appeared she was attempting to perform CPR on Adriana. Corcoran quickly began rendering CPR to seven-year-old Adriana himself as the child's body was still warm. Adriana didn't show any signs of a pulse, yet the chief believed he was able to regain a heartbeat, but only momentarily. Adriana was then airlifted to Bay Medical Center in Panama City, where the doctors would work on her for over an hour, desperately trying to revive the little girl. Her pulse returned at one point, but they were unable to sustain it permanently. And at approximately 5.05 p.m. that evening, young Adriana was tragically pronounced dead. According to personnel on scene the afternoon Adriana was found, the entire scenario appeared to be nothing more than a horrible accident. The toy wagon was pushed up against the pool, and the children's bicycle was found about a foot away. These items were soon photographed shortly after Adriana was rushed to the hospital. It was the fire chief's understanding that Adriana had climbed the sidewall of the inflatable pool using the toy wagon and that she had accidentally fallen into the water sprung off the inflatable wall and hit her head on either the wagon or the bicycle. It was his belief that the child was rendered unconscious as a result and subsequently drowned. One of the main reasons Chief Corcoran thought this was because Adriana was beginning to show visible signs of bruising on her forehead. According to EMS, Amanda Lewis exhibited the expected signs any young mother might following such a horrific event shortly after they had arrived on scene. But while in the emergency room waiting to receive updates on her daughter's condition, Bay Medical staff saw something very different in terms of Amanda Lewis's behavior. Just after her daughter Adriana was admitted, Dr. Fox, one of the physicians treating Adriana, came out briefly to speak with her mother. The doctor asked Amanda if she had any questions regarding her child's current state, to which Amanda Lewis simply responded with the bizarre question, do you know where the vending machines are? 
This episode is proudly brought to you by EarthBreeze. Somebody did it. Somebody finally made laundry easy. Say goodbye to the massive laundry detergent jugs and try out the revolutionary liquidless laundry detergent that dissolves 100% in any wash cycle, hot or cold. You guys have to try EarthBreeze. I love these things. Seriously, they look like dryer sheets. You chuck them into the wash. There's no measuring. There's no mess. There's no jugs. Just toss the sheet in and that's it. I love these things because not only am I saving a ton of space in the laundry room, these things still provide a powerful clean and they're tough on stains. They fight odors and my clothes come out smelling clean and fresh every single time. And it is so easy. They come via free carbon neutral shipping at a frequency you can set. Honestly, if you have kids like we do and you're looking for a way to simplify your wash cycle, try EarthBreeze yourself with their risk-free 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't like them, EarthBreeze will actually give you a full refund, no questions asked, and no need to return. So switch from the old-fashioned goo to something new. Right now, Invisible Choir listeners can subscribe to EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash invisible to get started That's earthbreeze.com slash invisible for 40% off earthbreeze.com slash invisible. This episode is also proudly brought to you by Squarespace. Hey, you want to know something I haven't thought about or stressed about in some time? It's our website, invisiblechoir.com. We've been using Squarespace to build out this beautiful website for years. Seriously, Squarespace is the all-in-one web design and brand development platform that helps you establish yourself on the internet It's so simple, and you don't need any coding or web design experience. The thing I love most about Squarespace is that you can develop your brand presence online using one of their beautiful templates, and you don't have to build desktop and mobile sites separately. Squarespace also has a ton of added functions behind the scenes that make building out your website super easy. We love their blogging tools. We use them on the main page at InvisibleChoir.com. We actually do one entry for each episode and it helps us organize everything and get it out to you immediately. There's also a member area where if you want to sell gated access to your content, whether those be courses or individual training sessions or a podcast, you can do so right through Squarespace. We also use their powerful analytics tool, which helps you understand how people visit your site, the channels they're taking and which are most effective to drive sales. So if you want to give Squarespace a try, go to squarespace.com slash choir for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code choir to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash choir for a free trial and use offer code C-H-O-I-R to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. Of course, Dr. Fox recalled this particular response as seeming very peculiar. It was memorable because whichever way you look at it, Amanda was casual in her interaction and didn't shed a single tear while at the hospital, nor did she show any visible signs of grief whatsoever, according to several witnesses. With that being said, she very well could have been in a state of shock. We all know there's no handbook on how someone is supposed to react when given such horrible news. When Dr. Fox came out to the waiting room again, roughly an hour later, to inform Amanda that her daughter had tragically passed away, she apparently gave no reaction at all. Soon after, Amanda Lewis entered Adriana's room herself to say goodbye. She ran her hand through her seven-year-old daughter's hair, gently kissed her on the forehead, and then walked out. However, she would not be leaving that hospital just yet. 
this very well could have been the end of the story. A not-so-uncommon accidental death of yet another child who unfortunately fell into a pool and drowned. Case closed, right? Well, not exactly. Not even three full hours after her daughter Adriana was pronounced dead, police wanted to speak with Amanda Lewis in more detail about what happened that day. Can you tell me about what all happened today? Well, I got home from work. I work 11 to 7. Um, they were watching cartoons. Um, I told them if they'd let me take a little nap, that we'd get up and get ready and go do their school shopping. Um, they were good. I took my nap. I got up probably around 12, 12.30, 1 o'clock, somewhere around in there. Um, they wanted to go outside, so I let them go out. This interview began at 7.41 p.m., the very evening of Adriana's death. The account you've just heard is the same provided at the top of the episode, Amanda's side of the story. With that being said, it wasn't her apparent lack of emotion that sparked the following line of questioning. One of the very first things detectives were most curious about was what the children had to eat that day. Did they eat lunch or anything or breakfast or any of that? Or? Um, well, when I got home this morning, Adriana said that she had thrown up and there was some in her bed. There was a little throw up in her bed and she had threw up one more time. And I asked her, was her stomach hurting? Last night we had some um, chili cheese hamburger helper um, and I didn't know if maybe that made her sick. And she said she wasn't feeling good, but, you know, she didn't want anything to eat. Um, I don't know. Amanda reveals that Adriana became sick repeatedly in the hours before she died. The detective then begins to question her about the kids wanting to go swimming that day. I thought you had told me that they said they wanted to get in the pool. Yeah, first thing this morning, they wanted to get in the pool and go swimming. Mm -hmm. And I told them to let me take my nap, and then we'd talk about it. And I asked them, I said, well, do you want to swim in the pool or do you want to go get your school stuff? And they then they wanted to go get their school stuff. But then when I asked him what she was doing, he said she was cleaning the bugs out of the pool so we could go swimming. Amanda explains to detectives that Adriana was being treated for ADHD and that her attention would routinely move from one activity to another. In this case, from wanting to go swimming to wanting to go school shopping and then back to swimming. At some point, roughly an hour after she first woke up, showered, and did some laundry, Amanda claims that AJ came to the front door and told her that Adriana wanted to clean the bugs out of the pool so that they could go swimming. This new revelation, in turn, led her to go outside to check on Adriana for herself. When you went out and found uh, Adriana, how was she How was she in the water? She was face down in the water. Was she on top of the water or below the water? She was on top of the water. Because I had leaned over the pool and managed to get her toe and break her close enough to where I could pull her out. The interviewing detective then asks Amanda Lewis a straightforward and simple question. One that might help further explain what actually happened at the pool earlier that afternoon. Could she she stand up in that pool? Mm Mm-hmm. Both of them could stand up. On her, the water come up to maybe about right here. And she would walk around the edge. I mean, she was afraid of water. She was afraid of going under the water. Was she scared of getting in the pool, though? I mean, she'd get in the pool, but she'd stay right around the edge of it. Or either she'd put AJ's little floaties on, and then she would walk out when we were out there. Could she swim or dog paddle? Not good enough. I mean, she could paddle to keep herself afloat, but she couldn't swim that good. 
I mean, we were trying to show her how, but she was just, she's always been afraid of the water. The question, could Adriana stand up in the pool, would wind up being one of great significance. The above-ground pool was an Intex brand sand and surf easy set model. It was 18 feet wide by 4 feet deep, or 48 inches. Adriana was approximately 47 inches tall, and when the water level was measured, it was 32 to 35 inches high. But remember, some of the water left the pool during the incident. If she had already drowned, the chance to stand up would become irrelevant. Regardless, what the investigator is doing here was insinuating the question, if Adriana fell in, then why didn't she just stand up? In addition, Amanda Lewis would eventually state herself that Adriana was afraid of the water, to the point that she was scared to even take a bath. If that were truly the case, if she were that afraid of the water, why would she have been leaning over the side of the pool fishing for bugs in the first place? Did she ever get scared when y'all were playing in the pool? She never liked for us to throw her up like we do AJ. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we really didn't push her to do anything. And then when I started sh trying to show AJ how to swim, then she wanted to learn how to swim. But I went try to push it on her because I know she's afraid of the water. To Amanda's benefit, a white bucket was found in the pool that Adriana may have been using to get the insects out of the water before she fell in. Also, Amanda's boyfriend and other witnesses would later confirm that while Adriana was afraid of the water, she had swam in the pool before when an adult was present. Back at the home, investigators had already begun to meticulously comb through Amanda Lewis's residence, including in the backyard. There were child shoe prints found inside the Radio Flyer wagon, butted up against the pool. The wagon appeared to have been filled up with mud by the children sometime before Adriana's tragic death, which is how the impressions were captured and made visible. There was also a significant amount of water that overflowed from the pool, presumably from when Adriana had gone under and was being recovered. The pool ladder was in the shed, locked up at the time of Adriana's death. Something investigators also noticed almost immediately was that, aside from the wagon, AJ's toy gun, and the bicycle near the pool, there wasn't much to speak of in terms of children's toys present at the home at all. Adriana and AJ's bedroom was also rather bare. There were no sheets or blankets on either of the bunk bed mattresses, and authorities reported that their room smelled of urine. Meanwhile, back at the hospital, Amanda Lewis would go on to reveal that Adriana had been acting out as of late. Um, you said she had some behavioral problems? Mm -hmm. Had she had any recently? Um, since he changed her medicine and put her on Focalin, mm -hmm. she's been doing, you know, a lot better. Before, you know, she wouldn't, she wouldn't listen to anything. Adriana had recently been prescribed and was taking Focalin an ADHD medication similar to Ritalin. However, Amanda goes on to say that for whatever reason, her daughter had not taken her medication on this day. You could honestly tell if she skipped a had dose. She had it today? No, we didn't do it this morning. I forgot to do it this morning. And she re really wasn't that bad. I mean, she'd just do the normal stuff and getting into stuff, but she wasn't a bad child even though she did have that problem. During the interview, detectives go on to inquire about whether or not Amanda, in fact, gave Adriana CPR after finding her body in the pool. Did you take any measures to resuscitate her? I tried to give her CPR. I mean, I'm not that good at it. 
And then he told me to call 911. And then the dispatcher was, you know, telling me, was she breathing? And I told her no. And I was trying to give her CPR then. It struck investigators as odd that even though Adriana had died just a few hours before, Amanda Lewis didn't seem distraught whatsoever. In addition, Fire Chief Corcoran, the first man on scene that day, would later go on record to state that when he arrived, Amanda Lewis was not attempting any life-saving measures on her daughter. Toward the tail end of this interview, the detectives ask Amanda about physical markings found on Adriana's body, specifically the bruising on her legs and shoulder, along with several on her forehead, chin, and cheeks, smaller fingerprint-shaped bruises that appeared to form the shape of a larger adult hand. What about the bruises? The one that was on, when I pulled her out of the pool, the one that was right here was a very small purple spot. It wasn't nothing like it is right now. And when they got there, they asked me if she had bumped her head or she had had a mark all day, and I told them no, she's not had a mark on her head. Had she had any bruises? Well, I mean, little ones on her legs and I think she had one on her left arm or her right arm where her and AJ would fight. But other than that, she didn't have any. Amanda does not yet have an attorney present. However, she may not even have been aware that she needed one quite yet. She continues answering detectives' questions. And just before wrapping up the interview, the investigators reveal to her that they know Adriana is not Amanda's first child that has tragically and mysteriously died. Have you lost a child before? Can you tell me basically what that was about? He had seizures. And we, we didn't know that he was sick. We had no clue. Amanda's firstborn child, 16-month-old Alex, died from an undiagnosed seizure disorder. She said the last month that he was alive, the boy had so little energy that he couldn't bring himself to play in the yard. So Amanda sought help. But according to the doctors that saw the boy, they said that he was fine. A few weeks later, the child passed away after having a seizure in his sleep. While Alex's death was ruled accidental years before, there were now some deeper questions that needed answering, as a second of Amanda Lewis's three children had been discovered deceased. But in the face of such insurmountable tragedy and an apparent accidental death, why were the authorities so eager to interview Amanda Lewis just hours after her daughter Adriana had passed away? It wasn't the lack of toys in the yard or their bedroom. And it wasn't the red flags raised by her first child's death. It wasn't even the potential signs of neglect or the smell of urine running rampant throughout the home. It was a key witness, someone who claimed to have seen everything. Amanda was no longer being viewed as a mother who just lost her child. Instead, she was now suspect number one in a murder investigation. She didn't know it yet, but moments after seven-year-old Adriana was airlifted to Bay Medical, her last surviving child, six-year-old AJ, had already spoken to police, uttering a six-word phrase that would change his mother's life forever. Mama dunked Adriana in the pool. This episode is proudly brought to you by HelloFresh. You know, they don't call me Chef Mike for nothing. Last week, I hit it out of the park with a chicken sausage rigatoni and creamy sauce with bell pepper and lemon, and I made the entire meal with farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients that were delivered straight to my front door with HelloFresh. 
You guys, HelloFresh does more than delicious dinners. Not only can you take your pick from 40 weekly recipes, you can also choose from over 100 other items to round out your order. Those might include additional desserts or pantry necessities or added proteins. And it comes right to your house. So you don't have to spend all afternoon scouring through every corner of the grocery store looking for that one evasive ingredient that adding a drop behind the counter. HelloFresh takes away all the hassle by delivering fresh pre-portioned ingredients so you have exactly what you need and how much of what you need to help cut down on food waste. The thing I probably love most about HelloFresh is how they package everything individually and separate it by meal. So, depending on how many meals we have in one box, all I have to do is pull out a single bag with the protein and get to work on the colorful recipe guide. It is super simple and saves me a ton of time. So, go to HelloFresh.com slash Invisible16 and use code Invisible16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash Invisible16 and use code Invisible16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. This episode is also proudly brought to you by Babbel. All right, the cat's out of the bag. I'm finally going to do it. I'm going to book the trip to Paris. And you know, if you've been thinking about booking a trip abroad this summer yourself, you got to try my go-to travel hack, Babbel. Babbel is the language learning app. Whether you're a seasoned traveler or this is your first big adventure, you've got to familiarize yourself with and learn some of the language. With Babbel, you only need 10 minutes to complete a lesson, so you can start having real-life conversations in as little as three weeks. And their lessons aren't created by AI or automated technology. They are expertly crafted lessons built around real life, so you can have practical conversations about travel, relationships, business, and more. And one of the really cool things about Babbel is that there are so many different ways to learn beyond the traditional lessons. For instance, you can access games, videos, stories, and even podcasts. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. Now, I've been taking French lessons on Babbel for several weeks now, and my absolute favorite function of the app is the speech recognition technology. I can actually say different words and phrases directly into the app, and it'll let me know if my pronunciation is correct or if I need to make an adjustment before moving on. So what are you waiting for? Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash invisible, that's babbel.com slash invisible for up to 55% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. Before Adriana was rushed to the hospital, Amanda Lewis's mother arrived on scene. Authorities allowed the grandmother to take temporary custody of AJ while Amanda went to the hospital. But somewhere along the drive to the grandparents' house, AJ told them something that shocked Amanda's mother, enough so that it prompted her to call the police. AJ's grandmother called the sheriff when she got home, reporting that AJ just told them that his mother punished Adriana by placing her hand over the child's face and holding her under the water. Who threw her in the pool? My mama. Mama threw who in the pool? My sister, Adriana. And then what happened when she threw her in the pool? She started holding her face. So Adriana started screaming. So I went, pow, 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 with my gun. So mama said, stop it. So I didn't stop it. So she, so Adriana screamed, AJ, AJ, call the police. You said your mom held her face. How did she hold her face? 
AJ gestures his palm over his face, as if to reenact what he claims his mother did to his older sister. This audio was captured from AJ's first interview the afternoon of August 8, 2007. He had first spoken with a child care specialist at the Holmes County Sheriff's Office, and after listening to what AJ had to say, detectives quickly arranged a second interview shortly thereafter, later on that same evening, where the six-year-old would maintain an eerily similar story. She done the stuff that she didn't post to, so my mom got mad at him. So she threw him in the pool, and then she told her to go somewhere, and she said no, because mom was going to dunk over him. And then mom had to go get in the car to go get Adrian. And then Adrian was trying to escape from mama, and then mama pulled her back in the car. And then once they got back home, mama threw her back in the pool. And then she started drowning again. Amanda Lewis had made no mention of driving her car that day when she was questioned. So AJ's claims didn't mesh with hers. But all kids have unique and at times wild imaginations. While there are discrepancies between both of AJ's police interviews, the central content of his story remained largely the same. But investigators needed to determine if he was in fact telling the truth or simply describing a wild fantasy. Adriana started drowning. And then when she had to take a shower, Mama told, my mom told me to go get her. And then when I was standing in the wagon, she was dead. Has your mom ever done anything like that before? She has. AJ nods yes to the question, has your mother ever thrown Adriana in the pool before? He nods no to the question when asked if she'd ever done the same to AJ. Investigators begin asking AJ about his current living situation and he and his sister's sleeping arrangements. Where do you sleep at, AJ? I'm sleeping there all day when I get in trouble. But when I be good, I get to sleep in the living room. He says that when he is well-behaved, he gets to sleep in the living room. But when he's in trouble, he sleeps in his and Adriana's bedroom all day long. He also says that he and Adriana didn't have breakfast that day, or lunch, even though it was late in the afternoon when police arrived at the home to find the young girl's lifeless body. AJ also said that he has a bicycle, the one that was found near the pool, but explains that Adriana's bicycle tires are flat and that hers was behind the shed. Did Mama go outside while y'all were out today? What'd she do? She told Adrian to scoop out the bug, out the pool, then... She, maybe she did it, so Mama dunked him. Because she didn't scoop out the bugs? Yes, AJ repeatedly asserts that his mother, quote, dunked Adriana, a claim he makes clearly in both interviews. AJ says that Adriana was grounded the day she died and that she had been on punishment. He says once Adriana got off punishment that he and his sister were watching cartoons in the living room, just like his mother had said before. AJ also said Adriana had been slamming cabinets in the kitchen and had gotten into their mother's hair care products. Investigators go on to ask why his sister was in trouble. He said it was because Adriana had been spraying something she wasn't supposed to. Something about some spray. What can you tell me about the spray? It worked in a spray bottle. They spray stuff out of What color? Blue. It was Windex. AJ goes on to explain that Adriana sprayed Windex all over the TV and that she got in trouble for it. 
He then goes on to describe how his mother apparently dunked Adriana in the pool in more detail, specifically how, quote, Mama was holding her hand over Adriana's face so she wouldn't scream. Mama holding her hand over so she wouldn't scream. Today? Then what happened? Adriana started screaming when she, Mama took her hand off of Adriana's face. Where were they at? At the pool. How many times did she get dumped? Four times. Four times? Who told you that Adriana got dumped? Nobody. I saw her. His story is a bit convoluted at times, but there's no doubt AJ is an intelligent child. He knows where his mother works, what days and what times she gets home. He also knows that he hasn't been in school lately because of school vacation, but he refers to it as spring break instead of summer break. Again, AJ is just six years old, and while all of these things seem like relatively trivial facts, the investigators are trying to gauge just how good this soon-to-be first grader's memory actually is. He said that Adriana had been spraying a bottle of Windex and that their mother sent her to her bedroom and when she came out, told her to go scoop the bugs out of the pool. AJ reiterates this claim several times throughout the half-hour recording from this interview. He repeats that while Adriana was scooping the bugs out of the pool, that is when his mother dunked her underwater. Little AJ then goes on to explain the horror of what he had seen that day and explains that 14-year-old Alan Michael rushed him into the house after his sister had been pulled from the pool. I couldn't see it because it was going to be dangerous. So uh, Michael took me in the house when Adrian was dead on the ground because mom pulled him out the pool. And then she was purple, her lips were purple, and then brown water was coming out of her mouth. AJ explains how brown water was coming out of Adriana's mouth. The fire chief did report vomit to be on or around the child when he arrived on scene. But if one were to simply go by what AJ was saying in this interview, the following inferences could be made. First, that Adriana had been grounded or had just gotten off of punishment the morning of August 8, 2007, when she allegedly began acting up. That she had been spraying Windex and was subsequently sent to her room and that when she came out, she began getting into mischief again by slamming cabinets and playing with her mother's beauty products. According to AJ, Adriana may have been told to go scoop the bugs out of the pool by Amanda. But when Amanda came back to check on Adriana, she was actually splashing and playing in the water instead of doing what she was told. That's when AJ says he saw his mother dunk Adriana four times. He then goes on to say that before he actually found Adriana floating face down in the pool, that he had been playing in a nearby tree. He then says that after finding Adriana, Alan Michael, his mother's boyfriend's son who also lived in the home at the time, took AJ inside. This could mean that as a form of punishment and out of anger, that Amanda Lewis held her daughter's face underwater repeatedly, dunking her several times before leaving her in the pool and heading back inside to take a shower. Could it be that Amanda did this, yet somehow believed her daughter had not been harmed? That she believed she was punishing Adriana, but not with the intent to harm or kill? It's hard to say for sure, but what AJ has told investigators thus far would literally become the foundation for this case moving forward. Meanwhile, Amanda Lewis was still at the Bay Medical Center, 
Investigators had yet to inform her that her six-year-old son, AJ, had implicated her in Adriana's death. It wouldn't be until her second interview with law enforcement that this revelation was brought to light the following day on August 9th, 2007. I don't know how to fit this. He seems to believe that you grounded her. Well, I don't know why he would think that. I mean, I wasn't even out there. I was in the house. Why would he accuse you of grounding your daughter? He does like to tell stories. I mean, but you can't ask him something now, and he could tell you, and then ask him five or two minutes later, and it's, it's totally different. Mm-hmm. The detective informs Amanda Lewis that her daughter's autopsy will be completed the following day. He also reiterates that Amanda still hasn't been able to come up with any explanation for the bruises found on Adriana's face and forehead. You know, it just don't look good. I talked to you about trying to explain the bruises. We can't come up with a reasonable explanation as to why they're there. I mean, I don't know why they're there. I mean, the only thing I can think of is either she hit the tablet container or either she went completely to the bottom of her head or she hit it on the wagon before she even went in the pool. That's the only explanations I have. Okay. I mean, I have never, ever, in the six and seven years I've had my children, ever raised my hand to them. Uh, where would OJ get the term dunked? Well, I mean, we say that to him when we dunk him. And what, what would that be? Just pushing him on the water for a second? Or Just not? chunking him up, letting him go in the water. Okay. But not, not pushing him? No, not, not pushing him. When the detective asks how Amanda was coping with the loss of her daughter, she responded by saying that because so many people had been at her house, that she hadn't yet had the time to think about it. Remember, this was less than 24 hours after Adriana had been pronounced dead, and yet Amanda Lewis has yet to have displayed any emotion. At this point in the interview, a shocking detail is also revealed. A child protective services had been visiting with Amanda on a near-weekly basis sometime before Adriana's death, after a faculty member from her school reported that one or both children appeared dirty and that they hadn't been properly bathed. The school, Poplar Springs, called someone there, called a report saying that I was neglectful to them mm-hmm. and that I didn't watch them sufficiently. Amanda claims the referral occurred after one of Alan Michaels' basketball games, that the children were dirty from playing underneath the gymnasium bleachers. Regardless, after the issue at school, Amanda goes on to admit that DCF came to her home every Thursday after to meet with her about her children. She said she would meet one-on-one with a social worker weekly to discuss parenting, specifically punishment methods. The investigator then gives Amanda another chance to offer her opinion on what she believes happened before asking about Adriana's bruises. What do you think happened to her? I honestly believe she climbed up on the wagon and had the right bucket, getting the bugs out or pulling the bugs out and slipped and fell. And because her being afraid of going under the water, she panicked. You know, it looks like somebody may have hurt her based on the bruises. I don't see how that could happen. How would you feel about taking a polygraph? I'd be fine with it. Amanda goes on to present the idea that the bruises could have been from the children fighting, as they often did. There's also a casual mention of a next-door neighbor that occasionally stops by, but the detective gets Amanda to rule that individual out as anyone who could have potentially caused Adriana harm. Amanda would go on to take that polygraph, and she would pass. Unfortunately for her, the results wouldn't be much help as they're not admissible in court. 
When Adriana's autopsy report eventually came back, it would rule that her cause of death was in fact drowning and that the manner of death was a homicide. The ongoing investigation would continue for about another month before Amanda Lewis was ultimately arrested and officially charged with aggravated child abuse and first-degree murder and the death of her seven-year-old daughter, Adriana Hutto. Amanda Lewis would go on to stand trial for the alleged murder of Adriana in February of 2008. But before that, she was presented a plea deal. In exchange for 10 years in prison, she was to plead guilty to manslaughter to avoid a life sentence. But to everyone's surprise, Amanda Lewis turned down the deal. She maintained her innocence throughout and would eventually leave her fate in the hands of a Florida state jury. During opening arguments, the prosecution addressed the issues Adriana struggled with as a child. There was the bedwetting, ADHD, and misbehavior at school and at home. They also revealed that Amanda Lewis had enlisted in the National Guard at the time Adriana was born. During basic training, Adriana lived with her grandmother, Amanda's mother, for the first six weeks of her life. While Amanda was discharged and never finished her term with the service, the state would bring up the fact that Amanda had significant trouble bonding with Adriana moving forward. The prosecution argued these factors contributed to her frustration with Adriana to the point of becoming extremely angry. In turn, Adriana was allegedly punished more than any seven-year-old should be. But the prosecution's account is very different from anything we've heard from either AJ or his mother's previous interviews with police. They presented the theory that the afternoon Adriana died, she and her mother had been arguing, explaining that the little girl walked off from the house. The state claims that Amanda Lewis had then gotten into her car, drove down the road, and picked up Adriana. She then brought the girl back home. At this point, Amanda had reached her apparent breaking point, and that's when they claim her emotions got the best of her. Within the first 10 minutes of opening arguments, lead prosecutor Larry Bassford would tell the court that sometime after returning home, Amanda Lewis carried her daughter over to the pool and began to continuously plunge Adriana's body under the water. The bruising on Amanda's face would also come up time and time again at trial. The medical examiner would later testify that they were consistent with a handprint, stating that while examining the body, she held her own hand above Adriana's face during the autopsy. The medical examiner explained that her fingers aligned perfectly with those markings, and that they undeniably resembled that of an adult handprint. It was also her opinion that due to the coloration, all of the bruises located on the cheek and forehead had occurred at the same time. As far as the alleged fingerprints on Adriana's face, the defense suggested the bruises could have been from anything. They explained that the children were known to physically fight with one another, as Amanda had claimed during her second police interview. Amanda Lewis's attorney also proposed the idea that perhaps AJ had hit Adriana over the face with his toy gun or that she had fell and hit her head on the wagon before ultimately drowning in the pool. Some of the other first responders would also take the stand, claiming that they hadn't seen any bruising, only pink and red marks at the time they arrived. These claims, of course, not entirely consistent with what the fire chief saw, the man who was first on scene and the one who reportedly worked on Adriana the most, 
trying desperately to save her life aside from the physician at the hospital. Still, there is such a thing as anti-mortem bruising, which means it can actually take some 60 to 90 minutes for bruises to appear on one's skin after death. We do know from the autopsy photos that the bruising on Adriana's face was clearly visible, which could help explain why some of the first responders may not have noticed them had they not been close up and interacting directly with the child. It was their stance that this whole thing was a tragic accident and nothing more, that Adriana went out to play, tried to clean the bugs out of the pool water, leaned in too far, and tragically lost her life as a result. The defense would open with the argument that relying solely upon a first grader's testimony in a murder trial was simply ludicrous. This would become a hurdle when it came time to convince the jury, given the fact that AJ was able to recall several details that turned out to be true and accurate, including identifying a man on a tractor near the property and several military helicopters that had apparently flown overhead around the time of Adriana's death. Still, the defense insisted that AJ could not be considered a credible witness. Instead, they would focus on the physical evidence found at the scene, such as the wagon pushed directly up against the pool and the water that was subsequently found inside of the wagon. Also, there were no physical markings, such as scratches on Amanda Lewis's arms or otherwise the evening of her daughter's death. Her lawyers arguing that had Amanda Lewis forcefully drowned and killed Adriana, by plunging her repeatedly under the water, that Adriana would have been desperately flailing and clawing at her mother, trying to survive. Her lawyers were also sure to explain the reason why the children were not fed that day. It was because they had plans to stop for food on the way to school shopping, and not because the children were in any way neglected. There was also the Windex, an incident the defense explained actually happened several days before, and not the day of Adriana's death. Amanda Lewis's boyfriend, Alan Carnally, would corroborate this claim. This would indeed be presented to the jury as another indicator of inconsistency in AJ's story. The point is, Amanda's attorneys didn't need to have an answer to every question in this case. They just needed to present enough reasonable doubt to the jury to avoid a conviction. However, in an absolutely dumbfounding attempt to further the impression of reasonable doubt, the defense brings up an additional element yet to have been discussed. The fact that Adriana had an entirely separate injury that was discovered during her autopsy. And lastly, there's an injury that nobody can explain, which is in the vaginal area of this child. There is an abrasion. It seems to be in an area that is consistent with what you see in sexual abuse of children. No one is going to suggest she sexually molested her child that day or that anything of that nature had ever happened before, but if you take all the injuries and look at them in some, either they lack the, the necessary probative value to show that she committed a homicide, but they also point in another direction. So the evidence in this case will either point to an accidental drowning or a homicide by a sexually motivated person. It was never actually proposed who may or may not have sexually assaulted seven-year-old Adriana Hutto. This was simply a tactic put on by the defense to impose uncertainty in the minds of the jury of what may have happened that day. They were planting an idea that perhaps somebody else killed Adriana. However, given Amanda Lewis's track record of neglectful parenting and the weekly visits to the home by DCF, 
Bringing up this particular injury arguably did more harm than it did good in respect to their case. Amanda's boyfriend, Alan Carnally, would also testify. Though he wasn't at the home at the time of Adriana's death, he was on the phone with Amanda at the time she claims she first discovered Adriana's motionless body. The prosecution continued to try and poke holes in Amanda Lewis's story while Alan Carnally was on the stand. Mr. Carnally, did AJ or Adriana ever clean out the bugs of the pool, sir? Not to my knowledge, no, sir. Carnally would go on to state that he had seen Adriana play in the pool with the bucket that was found, but only when under direct adult supervision. The problem was he wasn't actually there that day, and the only individuals present were 14-year-old Alan Michael, 6-year-old A.J. Hutto, and Amanda Lewis, who, according to her own account, was inside of the house showering at the time. Alan Michael did not take the stand as far as we could tell, but when he was first interviewed by police the year before, he told detectives he didn't hear Amanda yelling at the children that day. He also said he didn't wake up until about 1 p.m. During that interview, the investigator asked Alan Michael if Amanda had been known to physically abuse the children in the past. Ever seen her whip them? I've heard her whip them. Which one? Both of them. You know what she was whipping them with? A bell, I guess. That's what it's not like. If you couldn't quite make that out, a 14-year-old boy who also lived in the home told investigators, though he had never witnessed Amanda hit the children, he had heard it, using what he believed at the time to be a belt. When Amanda's mother and AJ's grandmother testified, she told the court that a week before Adriana's death, Amanda told her that she threw out nearly all of the children's toys because, quote, they refused to pick them up. At first, Amanda told police she had locked away the children's toys in the shed as a form of punishment. She told authorities she had plans to give them back at a later date. But when detectives ultimately looked inside of that locked shed, there were no children's toys inside. Her mother's testimony was corroborated and verified to be true and accurate via the crime scene photographs of that shed, which were immediately taken after Adriana was rushed to the hospital. Lead prosecutor Larry Basford would later go on record to say that without A.J.'s testimony, this case would have never gone to trial. When A.J. was first interviewed, detectives had him draw a picture of what he saw that day, and it would later be presented as evidence in court. The crude drawing consists of an above-ground swimming pool, a large stick figure holding another small stick figure over the water, and a third stick figure up in a tree, off in the distance. Next to the pool were the words too bad, and she did. Once A.J. finally took the stand, the energy in the courtroom noticeably shifted in a drastic way. The defense would waste no time at all in attempting to prove that A.J. is far too young to discern what is true and what is not. At the time of his testimony, his mother was sitting just feet away, directly in front of A.J. While he was on the stand, Amanda's lawyer asks A.J. if his mother were there in the courtroom, to which he responded, she was not. Your mother is not in this courtroom. Hope so. Okay. And you're telling me that that is the truth, that your mother is not in the courtroom. Yes, so. Where is your mother? Jail. She's in jail. Because she can't be here. She's in jail, isn't she? 
Yes, sir. It would be impossible for her to be here in the courtroom, wouldn't it? Yes, sir. When lead prosecutor Bassford eventually had his chance to speak with AJ, he pointed out several other people in the courtroom. Several people AJ knew and others he did not. He would then point out Amanda Lewis seated there in front of AJ before the now seven-year-old broke down in tears. That woman sitting right there between them, have you ever seen her before? Yes, sir. Who is that? My mother. Now you recognize your mother? Yes, sir. All right. Hey, Jay. Yes, sir. Give me your hand. All right. (laughs) This heart-crushing moment undoubtedly affected the jury. Whether it was to be to the benefit of Amanda Lewis's case or not would be revealed in due time. AJ took the stand for a period of approximately one hour. It's difficult for grown adults to remember what they did a week ago, never mind asking a seven-year-old child what he was doing the year before. AJ was that child. While his memory appeared to be better than most, there were some crucial details he simply couldn't recall. AJ? After this happened to your sister, what did your mama do? I can't remember. Could you hear Adriana when this was happening to her? Yes, sir. When that was happening to her, you could hear her? Yes, sir. What was she saying? I can't remember. Right. Obviously, it's an awful thing to have to make a child relive whatever happened that day. But apparently, it had to be done. Hopefully, in a way that wouldn't traumatize AJ more than he had already been. What did you do? How did you find her in the pool? Did this picture help us to show what you did? Yes, sir. Okay. When you saw her in the pool, what did you do? Um, I can't remember. All right. The state would go on to present several other witnesses, including co-workers of Amanda Lewis, who would go on record to say that she would often make comments at work about how angry Adriana often made her, that she was a problem child even going as far to say that Amanda didn't love her daughter and that AJ was her favorite. When Amanda took the stand during cross-examination, she would admit that the claims were true to some degree herself. She also confessed that she had told others that she, quote, did not love Adriana the way she should. The prosecutors would also harp on one specific incident where Amanda Lewis allegedly told co-workers that she could have killed her daughter for using a magic marker to draw in her car. With that marker, sometime before her death, Adriana apparently scribbled out the word loser on the seat of her mother's vehicle. You started spouting off, I could kill her. I've had it. I've had it with her. I could kill her. Didn't you? I was not that loud, but yes, sir. Well, I was there. Would you demonstrate to the jury how you said it that day, ma'am? I told them that I could have killed her for writing in my car. In that calm voice? Well, not that calm, but yes, sir. Now, obviously the phrase, I could kill you, is probably one we've all used at one time or another. When someone says it aloud, it's very rarely meant in literal terms. However, given the situation Amanda Lewis currently found herself in, this comment certainly wasn't doing her any favors. The entire basis of this four-day trial was whether or not A.J. truly saw what the state claims he saw, what he himself says he witnessed back in August of 2007. His mother's life literally hung in the balance as the jury deliberated, 
and after just two hours, they would return with their verdict. We, the jury, find as follows as to the defendant, Amanda Elaine Lewis, as to count one in this case. The defendant is guilty as charged of first-degree felony murder. Amanda Lewis was ultimately sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, plus an additional 30 years for aggravated child abuse. Since her arrest, Amanda has maintained her innocence and has continually appealed her conviction. To this day, this case remains extremely controversial and has become the subject of much scrutiny, mostly from supporters who believe Amanda Lewis is innocent. A social media community group named Amanda Lewis is Innocent currently has some 3,000 followers on Facebook. Here, supporters of Amanda Lewis share their thoughts on the case and where they believe the judicial system went wrong, along with their future plans to attempt to exonerate Amanda Lewis from all wrongdoing. Since the very beginning in this case, there have been rumors that AJ's grandparents, Amanda Lewis's mother and her stepfather particularly, disliked Amanda and that they may have in some way coached AJ into blaming his mother for Adriana's death. There's also the theory that detectives coerced and manipulated a confession out of the vulnerable little boy. Another theory is that AJ himself had something to do with his sister's death, that he was the one to push Adriana in the pool and lied about it because he didn't want to get in trouble. But none of these claims have ever been substantiated in any sense. But from a legal perspective, there are still plenty of questions that remain pertaining to whether or not the testimony of a seven-year-old child, specifically in a murder case, should have ever been allowed in the first place. Several professionals, including experts in child psychology, have since gone on the record to state their belief that AJ should never have been called as a witness in this case, that he was simply too young at the time to be considered credible. But without AJ, there was no case. No one else saw what happened to Adriana Hutto that day. And now, over 15 years later, most reports indicate AJ has not spoken to his mother. After that trial, he was put up for adoption and grew up with an entirely different family. We tried several times to reach out to AJ ourselves to see how he felt about testifying against his mother, a move that undoubtedly resulted in her lifetime behind bars. But he never got back to us. According to our research, AJ has never actually spoken publicly about his sister's death, the trial, or his mother's incarceration, and we suspect he never will. We're not in the business of offering up opinions or theories or leaning one way or another when it comes to presenting these types of cases. For the sake of everyone's best interests, we rely on the facts, all of which have been extensively researched. At the time of releasing this episode, Amanda Lewis remains incarcerated at the Lowell Correctional Institution Annex in Marion County, Florida. 